Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. and welcome back to the Director's Take podcast. Once again, really sorry for the cliffhanger at the end of last week's episode. It was very dramatic, but it felt right at the time. I won't go on for too long. But yeah, thank you for all the love of the episode. It seemed to really connect with people, uh, talking about Sam's journey. And obviously he was so, so giving and open, which which was really special. So in the second part, we're going to talk with Sam about his experiences in directing TV and break down his approach to directing craft. So without any further delay, here's part two. Enjoy. I think was it was it Noel Clark that called you for No. No, no. So so in between after Hollyoaks I had a meeting for Silent Witness and that was produced by Kieran Murray Smith and they were like, You've only done Hollyoaks, we ain't gonna give you this gig because they don't count two doses and they don't really count my pure land because it's not TV and the TV world apparently in their heads that everyone thinks it's a different beast or whatever. I think they think you've done a bit of a Fitzcarraldo and you've just gone off with two people, carried a boat over a hill, you've got no idea how to schedule or anything like that. So I, di- I didn't get silent witness. Um, but so Kieran kind of remembered me. And then when we were in the edit for Aki Bridge, again, got a call on a Wednesday saying, can you start Monday? Because someone had dropped out. Yeah. And and I remember in the, it was a Zoom then, or it might be a Skype, but he was like, Oh, we'll send you rushes tomorrow. So I kind of got the sense I was getting this gig before I'd even finished this interview with him and Nick Love. Yeah, he he just remembered me from my from my silent witness meeting. Yeah, and that's that's how I got it. Yeah, I don't think I think Nolan Ash might have signed off on it, but uh, he it wasn't. I don't think he was down to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, what, it was, what what was what was that like? Because obviously, you know, Bulletproof was like, you know, at that time, you know, Nolan Ashley were big dogs. I mean, Ashley still is. And that must have been like, you know, I'm directing these really big sort of like industry people and, you know, Noel's history of kiddlehood and what he'd done for the, yeah. the, the cinema and Ashley as well with his history. What was that like? You know, I did that and then I did the Cape Town one and it was genuinely the easiest gigs I've ever done. They were like, they were just cool, man. You know, I took Andy, who was the DP on Ackley Bridge with me. Uh, I'd met Noel before at a function somewhere and said hello to him. Uh, so he, I think on the first day he turned up, he was probably in the afternoon or something. And, um, you know, everyone was like, oh, you know, no, you know, they're a bit tricky and all this kind of stuff. And I remember, um, I think I told you this story before that he had to bring a birthday cake into the house or something. And, uh, I'd set up the camera and like 99 out of a hundred people would walk down the path. But I needed him to come in another way. And, uh, so I just went over to him and said, uh, no, can you come this way? He was like, why? I said, if I'll put the camera there. He was like, cool. <laughs> so he was like, cool, all right, yeah. So he just did that. Do you know what I mean? There was no pretense. I didn't get into Meisner or, you know, wh- why you should do it, what the moment. I'm just like, I'll put the camera there. And he was like, cool. So we were just on a level and it was it was fine. Right? And then I remember later on, I was like, uh, you know, you, as a director, you try to Jedi mind trick him, you know, I kind of want to do a walk and talk and get to finish on the other side of the road. And I said, oh, how did that feel? Do you think we could put more energy in? You know, that kind of shit. And Noel would be like, where do you want me to finish? Do you know what I mean? 
And uh, so he, because he's a director, maybe. And mm. Ash just got it. Ash was just like silent but deadly, man. He's just the whole time. So I didn't really get a read of like how I was going. I was just doing what Mark said. Like you just trust, do I believe what's happening? So that's all I ever did. Trust what's happening. Do I care about this? Does it need a bit more? Is it right for what I'm doing right now? Like how am I moving the camera? For me, there's an ethics to how you move it. And I'll just make sure I got it right. Kieran came up to me a couple of, you know, a week in or something. And he said, oh, it's great. How are you doing, man? He's all good. And I said, yeah, all good. He goes, uh, you know, Ash, Ash and Noel are really happy. And I said, they, he said, have they told you? I said, no, Noel said shit to me. He said, well, uh, Ash said, the guy's killing it. I said, all right, cool. Uh, and I said, you didn't say it to me. He was, yeah, but you know, I'm going to tell you. Hmm. So that was kind of their way of like, you know, I remember Ash said, said to me early on, he goes, this is how I wanted the show to be. Hmm. Just maybe I just brought a different energy or whatever it was. And again, I didn't think about it too much. I just trusted my instinct and, hmm. and did it the way I thought was right. But it was good. It was good, you know, like, because there, there was a, a motor to it, you know, like they're all trying to do something. It it wasn't just two people standing around talking the whole time. And whenever they were, we tried to give that, elevate that and sort of, you know, Gengen press it, you know, put some Jurgen Klopp on it. Like, how can I make this more interesting, you know, uh, which, which obviously they responded to, yeah. Just while we're on that topic, like, how did it work with, you know, when you are working with sort of like a cast, uh, actors who know the character better than you, who, you know, you've worked on continuing drama, so you've worked yeah. with those type of actors before. They know more about the characters than the, uh, than the directors. How do you how do you navigate that as a director? It's tricky because I was doing the last block on season two and the whole crew had been together the whole time. So I never felt like that crew was mine. And obviously with the cast, they'd known it for such a long time as well. You've kind of got to be respectful of that. But I would, I would often ask questions and just ask them at the start of the scene, like, where are you two right now? just to remind them because they might be you know like I know exactly what we're doing I've got to walk down the corridor and say this thing but if they're in the scene with someone else I'd say where are you two in your relationship right now in a way they'd be reminding themselves and they'd be telling me what's going on do you know what I mean hmm. and, and most of the time all your clues are in the script it's very rare that there's other stuff where if you're ill-informed if you haven't watched 18 seasons of it you wouldn't know because that's bad yeah. writing in a way and I don't know I, was, I, I never overthought it I kind of, mm. and none of them guys were dicks, really. There was, there was one point where one of the actors, we did, we had like six of them, six mm. or seven of them in a, in a room, just kind of wrapping this thing up. And I didn't do a close-up on one of them. And that person got upset and, and told everyone that he didn't do a close-up on me. So then the next day I was like, yeah, man, I, I missed your close-up. And this person was like, it's because you don't know that that person meant so much to me and you needed to do a close-up on me. So I could have been like, mate, we definitely do not need a close-up on you. I was like, let's schedule it in. Let's let's shoot that close up the next day. So, yeah, as long as you, I, I guess I've got no ego. So you know, you you try suck it in, and hope. Fortunately, none of them were dicks, and they, none of them pulled me up on it and were like, "Do you know what I did in season three? Put you know, episode four when I did that." None of them were like that. So it was it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. That sounds really helpful. Just to kind of circle back, when you get a TV job like this, where you probably have a bit more creative control in how it's going to be executed. What's the first thing which happens after reading the script? Because that's obviously the basis for everything. But what, how, how do you attack a TV job when you kind of, when you, you get the go ahead, you read the script, what are the things you attack? So I've got the gig now. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Cool. Ordinarily, weirdly, they get you straight out looking for locations is what I've noticed. Yeah. I actually, I think there's reading it and then there's ingesting a script. There's kind of two different things. So I kind of read it as a viewer is the first time I read it. I don't try think of oh, what I'm going to do here, what I'm going to do there. And it, it kind of depends what the show is. Like, for example, Bulletproof season two finale, I think I cast one person that was a bartender. 
and on on our bulletproof they had a really weird system where there were six or seven execs and the casting director and me so they'd they'd send all these reels out and then everyone would get to choose someone like the top three and then everyone have to vote on the top three so it was a really strange system for the casting on that ordinarily i mean i'm not that i kind of read it and then I'll, i'll i'll write down the sort of the scene heading for every scene so I'll just write, you know, interior cafe and then go to the next one. I'll go, you know, interior car, driving, whatever. Just really quick, just so it kind of goes in a little bit. I think the process of writing something kind of helps. I won't mm. write anything else. I won't write a blurb about the scene or anything like that. I'll just do that once, just to jot it down. But most of the time in TV, they, they kind of get you going. It's not like you're sitting on your own for hours, you know. You, you'll be straight away trying to find a location, trying to do the casting, uh, and then in between all of those things, you'll have chances to sit down on your own and work stuff out. The DP sometimes comes on early, sometimes it comes on a little late. I've been trying to get the DPs to get prep spread out so they can come and check a location out before you've got it. But I'll, I, I tend to do a lot of page turns with the DP, page turns with the production designer if they need it. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever do a page turn with the writers just so that you're on this? You are literally on the same page. You, the intentions are accurate. Exactly. Yeah, you got to do that as well. Yeah do a load of them sometimes they're off writing so you don't get a chance to do that but yeah i just clarify what a page turn is so it's literally it is what it says but i didn't know this until very painful experience when making uh, a filming exercise it's literally going through a script with whichever hod and going through it page by page right breaking the entire thing down so you don't miss anything yeah man it's really fucking helpful yeah 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 and, and you, you kind of you, what you don't want is to be on set and being like oh, this is what I was thinking here. And they're like, but you never said that. So, you know, you, you've got to see it as everyone's trying to help. Uh, and you you can kind of take a lot of weight off your shoulders and be saying, this is what I'm thinking here. Can you try get something like that and pass it on? Yeah. If the script's kind of close, I'll try to do a page turn as early as I can with, with people who need it. Yeah. With that, do you have a feedback on a script to offer changes or suggestions of how you can tweak things or remove things? And how how do you navigate that as well? Normally it goes, like on You Don't Know Me, we've had a couple of execs, so we all put all the notes in as one and then send it to the writer. I then got to have a page turn with the writer as well uh, to say my stuff. Most of the time in TV, they're not going to change it massively, so you're going to have bits and bobs. I remember on Bulletproofs in Cape Town, there was, a, there was an issue and I was like, look, we're about to make a big mistake here. I really, I kind of put my heels in a little bit. I was like this doesn't make any sense to me. And they were like, well, no one else has got an issue, Sam. And I was like, well, I just hoping this, I think we're in danger of making a bad choice here. So, and then hopefully someone hears you and everyone's on the call. And what you've got to definitely try and do is offer something, you know, if you're saying this is shit, you've got to offer something else and say, mm. this is what I'm thinking, you know, caveat it with, I know I'm not the writer, but I'm thinking this, this would, I'll tell you the example from Bulletproof. In Cape Town, we had, this girl's been kidnapped they get this CCTV footage where they see the guy who's taking her and he's got a t-shirt on and on his t-shirt it says like Cape Town Church yeah so Nolan Ash's characters are like that's where he's from Cape Town Church we've got to find that church and I was like that doesn't make any sense what if you had a Man United shirt on like are you going to go to Manchester like doesn't make any sense and they were like why what do you mean it's like they're joining up the dots I was like no it, you know and I quoted I remember Breaking Bad Mm. without ruining it for anyone when they're like you're saying just because he works at Las Palos this is the guy like what if it was Colonel Sanders you know from KFC and and no one got it everyone in the room was like this is makes perfect detective sense he's got that t-shirt on so 
I was like, what if you had a Disneyland t-shirt on? It doesn't, you know, I kept coming up with these examples. I was like, does that make any sense? If he's wearing a striped shirt from Burns, you're going to go to Burns. You know I mean, it didn't make any sense. So my comeback was, what if this guy in a plain t-shirt then gets into a van and on the van, at the side of the van, it says Church of Cape Town or whatever. So yeah. they're like, okay, maybe he's got that from somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And they're yeah. like, cool, we'll do that. Yeah. In my head, I was Which like, is more this concrete, is... right? Because I guess a T-shirt, I mean, people get gifted shit and you wear them as pajama shirts, who knows? But a car, well, like, you'd think it's so, a lot Mark, of money. In your logic and in my logic, <laughs> I thought it made more sense, but a lot of people in that room, a high-end TV, were like, oh, what are you talking about, Sam? This makes complete sense. He's got a T-shirt and they're trying to track it. Yeah, so it's, it's really tricky. And that is one example. And then I'll give another example on something else. And they'll be like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why do you need to do that? I guess that's what I've discovered is like, you know, as much as you think TV is yours, it's not, you know, it's not yours. It's it's a collective and I, I'm likely, you might think I'm at the top of the pyramid. I'm not. There's people above you. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you navigate that bit, you know, of giving notes back and not being deemed difficult? Like, is it is it a normal part of a director's process to do that? Is it expected? Or is it like, nah, that's the script. We don't want to hear your take on it you're just going to shoot it no i think they will most of the time they will always ask for your, your notes yeah yeah I, I guess when i'm being as aggressive as like this is a real mistake to have the t-shirt that's probably as you know the fact it stayed in my memory but most of the time you know you can offer stuff and if they don't want it they don't want it you, you've got to read that room else you've got to be like i know it's our name on it but as i keep shouting out on twitter like nobody really knows who directs tv according to these journalists you know what i mean they never get referenced so w within that kind of space how do you, Sam, stay creative on someone else's baby? Um, so you, you don't have to be like, this is what I'm going to do. Can you can you sign off on that? Mm. Do you know what I mean? They are employing you to do your job for a reason. But there are parameters. They do put guardrails down and you're doing it within those, which is which is the balance. But what I try and do is, is you know, I think one of my strengths is being good with people. So you, you chat to the producer and you try and get as tight as you can. Uh, and not in a duplicitous way where you're trying to then sneak one behind his back, you know, or her back. You're trying to be like, we're doing it to, together. It's a collective. Do you know what I mean? You're all trying to do it together. It's really hard when, you know, like Cape Town, all three apps were mine. And I found most of the time on the other jobs that they, the people above you, can hide behind, you know, they're not going to be happy with that, as in the channel or the writer. Or that doesn't match with the other block. Do you know what I mean? And mm. And like, fortunately in Cape Town, by then, Noel and Ash were like, and Nick Love was like, oh, Sam's the guy, whatever he wants to do, he can do. Do you know what I mean? And, then, and the producer was like, oh, okay, sorry, <laughs> I didn't realise. But, you know, that's not what's in the script. And I'm like, it's cool. Nick Nick gets it, and Noel and Ash kind of created the show. So it, it was a weird position where on the floor, we could change things. And, and we weren't changing it for the sake of it. We changed it because it did work. And you're like, this would have worked better if we did that. But sometimes in TV, you'd have to phone upstairs if you didn't have that situation. And, that, and, that, and that's what's tricky. There isn't a right or an answer on how to navigate it. You've got to hope the people around you are smart enough to be like, I think what you're saying is a better idea. And they will always ask for you to shoot it both ways if you can. Uh, you know, we had it on You Don't Know Me. We had it on you know, a lot of stuff where you, you try and get it both ways. Yeah. So you have to get enough coverage to help them in post. It, it, it's really hard, man. You know, because sometimes you're like, it doesn't need it. You know, it really doesn't need it. Uh, and if you don't have the time to do it and you know a lot of that is is you know you're asking how, how do you put you in it the way I put me in is I might have held that for a lot longer and then if you give them the option it's like they're going to use it 
but it's not ours is what i would say you know unless you're hugo blick or something or you know yeah mm. it's not yours man you're, you're being paid to do a job and with that how does scheduling what's your process with that and how do you give yourself space to be creative through through working the schedule if you can you know i'd, I'd do a page turn with the ad as well me the dp and the ad would do a page turn i'd be lucky on you don't know he had the best first ad i've ever had he was great he kind of got it you can flag to them you know like you know we've got three people in a car and most of the time they're really experienced they'll be like yep we know this is going to take longer than than is expected and then sometimes the producer will be like why why have you scheduled you know the whole afternoon for that and you're like it's, it's two pages in the back of a car what do you want us to do mm. so, as long as you're clear with stuff and you're not on the floor doing that I, I, i'd say you know we we wrapped on time i remember early on maybe hollyoaks and and doing my shorts i had a cup i was like gotta make my day i'm a shit director if i don't make my day it was like a real thing where you gotta make your day gotta make your day but I don't think you get an award for making your day. You know, you get you get, you get recognised if the work's any good. So mm. if you can let that stuff go, anyone listening, I would let that stuff go, man. You know, it really doesn't matter if you don't make your day. You know, if the grip's looking at you like, oh, I'm not going to make your day, like, doesn't matter. <laughs> Generally, it does not matter if you don't make your day. You can catch up on that stuff, and you know, the amount of shit we leave in the edit anyway, it's like it, it's stupid. You're not you're not going to use it all anyway. So you know, I, I definitely don't kill myself over that stuff anymore. Uh, and I don't move on until I think I've got it. I'll often look at the AD and say, I need one more. He's like, it's cool. You know, you need it, you need it. Uh, but then if I do it in one take, I might not do a safety and I'll just move on. I always call it an ugly wide. So I do my wide at the end most of the time. Once everything, all, all my close-ups are done, everything, I'll just do a really ugly wide. Oh, so you go in first? Yeah, I go in first. On you, don't know me. We went in first nearly all the time, yeah. How, how And how were cast responded, responded to that? They were they were great, yeah, man. Yeah, most of them were like... They didn't I'm need just thinking a wall, if, it's, if it's blocking and stuff, you know, usually, you know, they want to, they, they want to sort of like smooth the blocking out, which they can do on a... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just, it was a bit intense or the stuff was going on. It was like, they were good enough. I was like, let's just do it. And, and if you start, I've tried turnover quite quickly. So, you know, you do get them on the floor, rehearse, block it, uh, show the crew, get them ready. And then maybe after take two or three, things will have moved a bit. And then I'll be like, that's the one we're going to match. Because mm. now we've actually got it in full rhythm we're all at 100% whereas if I'd done my wide and moved on I'd probably have to go back and pick that up but in a close-up if I can do two or three takes and stand up in one don't stand up in the other go to the window don't go to you know what I mean I can still fuck about a bit and then we can say I'm going to match that so I'll say to script supervisor we're going to try and match that and then even then I'll still change it sometimes because I'll just I'll know I'm going to hold on the other person yeah and, and what does sort of like overall like pre-production look like for you is it is it you having just loads of meeting after meeting after meeting, location wrecking, you know, um, and then do you do your own private sort of like the creative prep stuff yourself? As in, right, I want to have this as a scene entrance or, you know, whatever yeah. this this, this uh, I've got to be know what the last scene is going to end on. How how do you how do you approach that? It is actually weirdly it's a lot of um. I asked to have my own room. That's the only diva thing I do do. Just can I have somewhere on my own so I'm not. If you're in the office or something, you know, there's a lot of phone calls. Uh, I'm quite friendly so people want to talk to me but if I'm in a different room then people know they've got to go in to see me or whatever and talk about football or my love of Danny Boyle so you know it's, it's a bit more of a mission and then the DP will normally sit in my room because Andy's very quiet he's a monk Prep is probably my least favourite I'd say I, I like to shoot the most yeah and maybe that's just because I like playing so I'd rather be out there doing it but I'm trying to get better at challenging myself on why I struggle with it I mean, no one else would know I struggle with it. It's just, you know, I feel like you can get married to a location that's going to move anyway. They're going to be like, no, we can't do it, or we've elbowed it. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm quite calm throughout the whole thing. It's like you know, it is what it is. I think when I think I think when one of the one of our mutual friends had shadowed you on 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 your last job, one of the things that he was saying was that you had a really good um, command of the leadership required on set. Right. Um, and we'll go on to that in a, in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a bit, but. Um, that's important as well, isn't it? To, well, I mean, to... that's, that's that's so weird because, like, I remember I was like, I'm not doing much, and, and maybe he was like, "What do you do? How do you do this?" And I was like, "You know, I described it as like, you know, you you need the conductor, and if the conductor's not there, eventually everyone will go out of tune, and that's all I'm doing is I'm I'm kind of just keeping everyone in tune and spinning discs and stirring pots, putting a bit of salt, you know, here and there, and that's that's all it is. It and maybe it's because I've done it enough where I can do it calmly. And, you know, he hasn't got, you can't hear my internal monologue where there's a lot of shouting going on. Um, but exterior wise, you know, I'm all cool. It's, it's, it was really interesting that he said that because I didn't know I did that. I really didn't know. Whereas a lot of people have said, you know, the similar stuff, you're calm and reassuring and you know what you're doing, there's confidence. But I, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's interesting. Did you learn that on the job, that, that kind of like leadership that's required by a director to lead the team? Or was that something that you always had and you'd commanded it from like Ada Cup? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I've never, I've never felt like I've lost the crew or an actor. Um, I've worked, you know, because I was grafting. I was a sound trainee on the job and I remember the DP and the director did not talk. And I remember being on a 35 mil feature as a third AD. I was actually a runner washing up. And then one of the ADs left, so I got bumped up, still washed up the pots, but I was a third AD. And again, the DP and the director didn't talk. And I was like, this is weird. Like, you know, like I remember there was a corridor scene and the DP had left all the doors open and light shining through. And the director's on set and he was screaming and he walked off and the AD had to tell the DP it's uh, suspense and all the doors are locked. You're not supposed to leave the doors open. Do you know what I mean? They just weren't in tune. That nobody was together. So I, I don't know if that through osmosis kind of went in, and I was like, okay, I've got to make sure we're all on the same page on this kind of stuff. Do, do you think? Do you think, as advice, directors need to go on and do shadowing on a set for TV? I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I don't know what harm it would do. So I guess it's got to be a positive if you did do it. You just got to be careful. You don't just sit in the corner and. You know, are you on your phone? Try, try, you know, that's why I say if you watch stuff, I'd love to watch a film with Daddy Boy, one of his films, and pause it and say, but why did you make that choice there? And then he will say, because we didn't have time to shoot the other thing. And you're like, oh, that's why he did it as a wanted. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that is quite interesting. And if you're, when our mutual friend who will remain nameless was on set, I would try and whisper to him, this is why I'm doing this, this is why I'm doing that. Do you know what I mean? Instead of him just watching and being like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. You've got if you can find a craft in it and and find it useful, do it. Uh, I mean, I'm always open. I'm like, you know, COVID's killed us a little bit, but people can always turn up and sit next to me. But you know, going back to that antenatal thing, it's like you can learn as much, but you're not actually on the s snow. Like mm. doing it yourself, you learn, and you might think on set, you know, it's great, we've done it. And then you'll get in the edit and be like, shit, I know what we missed that. But at least you've learned through doing it. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there is a difference, unfortunately. Because I, I think, you know, I'd read every book, listened to every audio commentary, and then I went out and did it. I don't think I could quote the reason why I did a certain shot, but it must have gone in somewhere. But when you're on the floor, man, there's a, there's a reason you're going to make a certain choice, Oz, that's different to Marcus's. Mm. Just your sensibility and your taste and something about your upbringing. And I think that's probably the one thing I did discover is like who I am and my choices and my taste. I've learned to lean into that. And that's my power. 
And I, I think we all have that. And then you don't have to have made 18 shorts of two features to have that power. You've already got it. Do you know what I mean? So that was the only thing is I've discovered is like, no, there's a reason I want to stay on this shot a little longer because that's my choice, mm. uh, which we all already have. You don't have to have made 14 short films or have directed high end TV. You, you've already got that in your armory. And it's just, you know, the gatekeepers are going to stop you from getting up there to do it. But if, if you can take walk away with that, remember that you've already got it. You know, don't look, don't listen to this podcast. You can already do it. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> mm. what I'm saying. You've already yeah. got it. Yeah. When you're on set, because we, we listen to various podcasts and people like directors, you sort of aspire to kind of be like the huge, huge Hollywood names. And when they say that there was on set, early on in their first features they they say they didn't have a clue about blocking they didn't have a clue about this or so i was just curious to know how does your day run from the very beginning through like executing a scene what does that look like you know what i think you always do know about blocking i was listening to those um roger deakins podcasts and um he always had the cover of the storyboarded but on set they'd let the actors do what they want and he said 99 percent of the time they still ended up looking like their storyboards so i will always in my head have read the scene and kind of know where I want the, and me and Andy have walked the location, done a page turn and we're like, I think this is what's kind of going to happen. And then on set, I'd, I'd let the actors walk in, you know, uh, most of the time we stand still and just do a, a you know, let's run the lines so the script supervisor will be there. And then I'll, I'll quite coldly say, anyone got any issues? And they're like, oh, I don't like the third there. Can I change it to this? And they'll either say yes, the script supervisor will, or she'll have to phone upstairs, or it was she on the last job. That's why I say she. And then I'll say, okay, do you want to try it? And this is the bit where I'll be throw it back to them. I say, well, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? So some people might see that as weak leadership, but I've hopefully got to a situation where they're not like you tell us. It's kind of like, oh, it's cool, man. Where do you want to go? You know. And then they'll kind of say, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm like, cool. So they'll try that. And weirdly, it's either what you wanted in your head anyway. And if it's not, then I've got to Jedi it and I've got to work my way back or accept what they're offering is better. And you've always got to re leave room for that. And I genuinely believe in that is prepare, but also turn up and see, is this better? Is what we're doing better? So then I'll try to think of an example, but most of the time it's, it's quite hard. Like you said, if it's two people in a room sat down talking, you know, there's not a lot that's going to change. So I'd, I'd let them do it, rehearse it a couple of times if they're happy with it and then leave it at that and then do a crew show and then me and Andy would, would talk about, we've probably already thought about it, you know, like what kind of move we'll be doing and why we're doing it. Less so now, actually, I've stopped doing bigger moves in at the top of a scene because I feel like most of the time you might lose it. So I try to go to the heart of the scene, like, you know, the most important bit, the bit where they say, I killed you a rabbit. And the other person cries, like, where do I want to be at that point? Mm. And maybe work backwards and be like, okay, I know I need to be tight. So Andy knows he needs to move in just before that line. So, you know, we'll kind of feel it from there. I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. It's not, uh, what I'd say it's not complicated is it's genuinely see what the actors want to do. And maybe I feel confident with my, where I am mentally now directing that I know which tool to use when. And if, you know, the actor's going to go up and move here or do something different, I can respond to that. Yeah. And I'll try to create an environment where the actors and the DP are not being told by me what to do, but I get to make the choice in the end. But yeah. So you're not necessarily like having a pre-planned shot list. You've just got a sense of it with your DP. So you're on the same page yeah. and then you're just yeah. reacting to what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, in, I might have some kind of shot list if if the scene is like, you know, he finds the thing on the laptop. I know I might need to do a tight on that laptop or am I doing a pop-up? How does he exit? I, I will think, where am I going next scene and where did I come from? 
things like that I will be thinking about um, and how can I use can I use a detail to start on pull focus and then develop you know Spielberg does that a lot mm. just uh, most of the time I, I would go from what's important here in the story as opposed to what am I trying to do with the camera you, you kind of want it you want it all to marry up do you know what I mean you want it all it shouldn't be about like the actor being like I need to cry I'm going to cry and you're like don't think you need to you know when we did You Don't Know Me end of season end of episode two we had like a three pager in the back of a car it was all VO voiceover it's like three pages in the back of a car it's like this is going to be hard so I said I'd like to chop the car in half so we chopped the car in half so we could have the camera moving on, a, on an arm so it could move around I was like that would be a lot more interesting because the whole show was about him and we can get closer to him and I felt that was a great example of what was needed in the script married with what we were doing with the camera and also in terms of time you know it saved us so much time just to be able to wobble the camera in and out and round about around corners so it literally like half half of it was a rig and half of it was a car yep yep wow. yeah 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 man you know I've got photos some way out it was it's just a small choice it's cheap you know they were like it's quite easy to get a, a random shit car mm. put it on the low loader uh and we t- we did the other one when he gets in the car. So you did that with four people, establish it, but then you just stay on him. Yeah, if you watch it again, you'll see it. Yeah, that's a prime example though of being prepared because that's one of those mm. things on the day you could be like, I want to have the camera here, the camera there, or we can do this move. And then you're there on the yeah. day, and they're like, you can't do that because of this. And you're like, oh shit. Well, we have to get a fudged version of that then. Yeah, exactly. So you- yeah, you're right. But I-, I guess I learned that doing like. Actually, Bridge, we did a little bit of car stuff. Back then, they were like, oh, you know, we don't have the time and the money. So we just did a static, and we had people talking as the car was moving, and then it stopped. Then I remember Bulletproof Cape Town, it was like, I think we spent two, maybe three days doing a car chase. Like, three days doing a car chase. It was, And we had two cars, the same cars, we doubled it. So, you know, if you had the rig rigged up for the front seat, it would drive around whilst they're changing the other one onto the tyre, and then they'd swap again, and then Ash would drive it. Do you know what I mean? It still took us two, two or three days on a abandoned... Or wait, where where do you land, land planes? Whatever you call that, yeah. landing strip. Oh, runways. Landing, yeah, <laughs> runway. Yes, yeah. so it was an abandoned runway, runway strip, and then we just had we had like twenty stunt performers. It was literally a repeat. It was burning hot. It was boring as fuck. But yeah, we did that, man. So I did learn from that, thinking, how do I do this quicker? And again, what do you care about? I care about the actor. I don't care about what I'm doing with the camera really anymore. I genuinely care about actor. If you think about any film, you really cared about it's probably because the performance was good you know and the story was good so i thought this would help sam as well you know he could just do it and in the end it took him so long to rig the thing up that we did one like 48 minute take <laughs> with me on a walkie-talkie just shouting at him the whole time like think of your mother think of your mom and then he'd cry <laughs> do you know what I mean? yeah we just did that yeah amazing i feel like i've been, I've been rubbish here Oz. i feel like i'm saying there's no mystery to this shit it's like trust surround yourself with good people and and trust your gut man and trust your heart and that's that stood me in good stead, man. If if it means anything to anyone, I made a load of shit short films, which gave me some sort of thick skin and some sort of attitude to think I knew what I was doing. But no, but this stuff is this stuff is important for obviously it's a podcast for everyone, but it's a podcast for me <laughs> and Marcus as well. This shit is important to us. We want to know this stuff as well. Yeah, because the so, alternative is like there is a mystery to it. Unfortunately, like people just see the end result and they think, oh, I could never do that. But actually, this is why shadowing is kind of important, or just being on a set is because you see it and it suddenly it suddenly seems like more achievable because you're seeing the steps to get there. Um, yeah. So this is all the, really really helpful. Yeah. Now the the only difference is you've got A list stars, you know those bigger things, you know. I was looking. I shadowed uh, um, David Yates on Tarzan, and he had like Sam Jackson and stuff. That's that's the difference. 
you know, the, the camera is the same, you know, it's still a close-up, but you've got an A-list star in front of you. Yeah. Mm. And and what about like, you know, notes? Like, wh what do you have with you on the day? Like, do you have like documents and shit? Do you have a file? Do you have a binder? Or is it like, it's all up here? We're just checking if I've got it here. No, I have, um, my wife bought me these uh, files. So it's like leather bound. So I just put my scripts in there, make sure they're printed both sides. And then I have a pen, uh, a multicolor, you know, those pens that you've got red, green, blue, yellow, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the night before, I asked for the sides for the next day. So on the drive home, I can flick through it, see what we're doing the next day. On the drive in, I can again flick through it and jot anything down that I might need to on that. I'll keep my um, file. I have a Molly, which is which is a man trolley. You know, those old ladies shopping trolleys. Mm. Every director needs one of these, mate. So I have an old lady shopping trolley, the brightest thing you can get. And I put my wet weathers and I put my waterproofs in there, my boots, my scripts, a little bit of, you know, uh, gelatine-free sweets in there if I need them. Um, and then I put my phone in there so I don't see it all day. Uh, I only check it now and then. And then I leave that next to me. I've got my sides. And then when they're doing a take, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll go red. So first take, I'll make a quick note. So I'll, I'll maybe write something. I don't know what. It'll be a squiggle, which might not make any sense to me. And I'll end up with two or three squiggles. And then I'll go over and tell the actor what I thought of that. And then I'll scribble it out. And then I'll get the black color for the next take. So so I know, you know, there might be some sides here if, if I could show you. But yeah, that that's... That's that's the way I, I roll normally, yeah. I've got a cool question. So, shit goes wrong on shoots all the time. Is there any sort of poignant memory you can think of where something's gone wrong and you've had to solve it on the fly? I'd say the guy running away was a was a good one. Yeah. But on a TV one? Where shit's gone wrong. Yeah, exact pressure. And was it something that, was it like a schoolboy error or not? Or were you always prepped or did you prepare yourself? Well, you know, what, what? Do you know, do you know, I think I told you, remember end of Aki Bridge, <laughs> one of the episodes, we had um, this girl sort of dobs on her mum to the police and they they had a four page row in their, in her bedroom. And then the police are outside and there's, you know, like eight police officers, two police fans. And that's the end of the episode. She gets dragged outside. And in my head, I was like, in my prep, I was like, you cannot have a four-page argument with someone in a girl's bedroom. Most of the time as humans, we don't actually talk. We don't sit down and talk. You know, you're either walking, you're talking, you're eating, you're putting the rubbish out. And if you were arguing with someone, do you think that person wants to be there? No. So she would leave that room. So in my head, I was like, I'm going to get her to leave that room and go through the house and argue and get downstairs. Do you know what I mean? Put her dad down, put the granddad downstairs. So I told the AD, make sure the granddad's downstairs and the sister, and he's like, but it's four pages interior bedroom. He's like, cool. So we do the rehearsal, and I'm like, I said to them both, we did the line reading, so I'm like, how are you feeling? They're like, cool, don't want to change any words, happy. I said, what if I left the door open and you could leave? And she's like, what? I was like, yeah, just what if you wanted, just see what happens. These two, yeah, went at it straight away, fucking great actors, straight away shouting, did exactly what I thought in my head. She'd go down the stairs, stop, go into the kitchen, stop, go into the room, stop. And I was like, that's what we need to do. So I got all the got all the crew together and I said, we're going to do two takes on everything. No more than two takes. These two are going to kill it. This is like theatre. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, I'm moving on. And it created this heightened kind of vibe in the set where everyone was like, fuck it, some shit's going down here. And the actors on the rehearsal were crying. I was like, save it, please, just save it. Do you know what I mean? It was Natalie Gavin and a girl called Megan. And they were killing it. I was like, this is exactly what we need. And obviously it took a little bit longer and soon enough, word got around town that we weren't going to make it outside to the 18 police fans and the 14 police officers and the night shoot that we'd lit and paid for, yeah? So everyone's turning up, the producers, the execs, 
a line producer, they're like, what's going on? And I was like, they were like, the end of the ep is outside. I was like, no, the end of the ep is here. Because this is a mother and a daughter arguing. This is the heart of your show. What are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? And they were like, you've got to get outside. So then there was these rumours going around. I could hear like the AD saying, yeah, we could part shoot it. Stop now. Stop now. Well, these two are killing it. And go outside. And I was like, oh, I'm mad. And I said to the DP and I said to the AD, you've got a holy nerve here. We're going to do this. This is the heart of the show. And then Andy said to me, the DP, what do you want outside of it? I said, we're going to shoot super, we shoot slow-mo. Two cameras looking that way as she's being dragged into the van. Two cameras looking this way as they, as we see the people react. Scene done. And he was like, cool. He goes, you don't want anything else? I said, no, you don't need anything else. Because they've argued, you just do a slow-mo going into the van. Door shuts. Daughter cries. He was like, okay, so we knew that ahead of time. Everyone now is like, what the fuck's going on here? How are you going to finish this thing off? And in my head, I'm like, am I making a bad call? Because it was only my second TV gig. I've done Hollyoaks and I've done this. And I remember holding the, the producer's hand. Yeah. And I said, I think we're going to wrap early. <laughs> yeah. Like an idiot. I was, I was a bit cocky. I was like, this is... I said, and she laughed. Luckily, she laughed. I was like, I think we're going to wrap early. And she was like, what? I said, look, thanks. I think this is great. We did the interior, finished, got them outside. And everyone sort of pulled together. We did the scene. And I remember both the actors were in tears afterwards. And you can check it out, man. I, I, I'm still stand by that scene. It was a lovely scene, but I had messed up because I hadn't given myself enough time to get outside. But maybe subconsciously, I was like, it never really mattered to me anyway. Because like, the, and, I, and I didn't, if you watch it, I didn't shoot the police officer coming into the room either. Because they were like, where's, I was like, you don't, who cares about him? It's the daughter and the and the mug, do you know what I mean? So you, everyone knows, oh, you've got the right to remain silent. You don't need a close-up on that guy saying that shit, do you know what I mean? So I, I didn't do that either. I was just really like, what is my story? How do I tell this story? Be be a clear through line, you know what I mean? Like, I genuinely believe in that. Like, a guy walks into a bar and orders a drink. I did not tell you a guy touched the chrome handle on the door. He was slightly chilly and misty, do you know what I mean? A guy walks into a bar, orders a drink. This girl was shouting out, Mom, that's that's what I showed you. And, and I stood by it. And weirdly, they wanted to reshoot it <laughs> when we got into the edit. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, they said there was too much shouting. And in the end, they compromised on a bit of ADR. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shit. I don't know if that was an example of uh, things messing up. But I've been quite lucky. I, I had, um, we had a fight in You Don't Know Me. And one of the actors pulled his shoulder out. Yeah, so we, we had to just stop the whole thing in the end. But I guess yeah. it wasn't just like, cool, let's just stop then. It was a case of what? the solutions how can we still shoot and stuff first for a bit right yeah it was a little bit but then everyone was like the producers were like no we're just going to call it there because he was in every scene mm. you know he had a gun to this person's head and but that was also because i was trying to um i was changing it a little bit so the stunt coordinator was like this is what they need to do and then the actor was like no i want to do this and i was like can we just try that and then i didn't know this but he pulled his shoulder out the day before and the stunt uh, coordinator yeah. knew that but hadn't told me and then when the, when the shoulder got pulled out, everyone was like, Sam's fault, because he wanted to change what was prepped. And I was like, so I kind of sat there thinking, shit. Mm. But This happens yeah. though, because people are shit scared of speaking directors, like bothering them with stuff, right? So you kind of don't get told certain things. Yeah, and, and also the stunt coordinator just wasn't very good at, you know, being like, you know, we had a guy in that, and uh, he'd, he'd done some bad stuff. He, you know, he'd spent some time away and reformed himself now. He was a former criminal, and he had a gun in his hand, and he, he was like... I want to do this. And the stunt coordinator's like, no, you wouldn't do that. This mm. guy would have done that and he knows how to do that. And they weren't receptive to that, mm. which is a real shame. Uh, and then I'm like, look, the actor wants to do this. And they're like, wow. And, you know, it wasn't like handstands. It was literally, you know, having done Bulletproof where the stunt coordinators were just next level where they were like, you know, let's do this, let's do that, let's try that. Yeah. So it was a tough one because it was my fault in a way. Maybe not. You know, let's see what the court case reveals. But 
It was a tricky one. Yeah. Mm. Moving on to the edit, we're intrigued to know how does that work as a as a TV director? Like how long do you get per episode? Are you involved? Do you ever kind of just like you have like a couple of days to do a director's cut and then you leave and you see it on TV? Like what what's your experience? It, of working it, it definitely it? varied on Hollyoaks. I think I had like six days, maybe, yeah. And they were editing as you're going along, so you could pop in and see him. I remember around six days and I think I'd moved back to Nottingham, back, back to London and um I didn't even see the final cut. I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. I didn't watch it when it came out either. But they were like, yeah, it's cool. We're happy we're going to change that. The editor stayed in touch and said, oh, look, they're going to change that. They're going to change this. I was like, cool. On Bulletproof, it was quite good. There'd always be like um, a little bit of like for time as well, because Sky is a different hour for an hour. So you'd, you'd be fighting a little bit for that. Ordinarily, you do get time to do your assembly. So it's like, you know, the director's cut, if you want to call it, you'd send that off. Traditionally, you'd send it to your internal execs. So whatever production company you're working with, you'd send it to them. They would then give you notes back. You'd do those notes and then it would go to the broadcaster. So mm. it's gone internally once. And most of the time, your production company knows what the broadcaster wants. So they'll kind of second guess what they're, they're after. I've never, I've never really had, you know, any major kind of like fallouts or anything like that. You don't know if it took longer than anyone expected. It was a really long time in the edit. But um, yeah, no real, I, I got... We have the same editor, which always helps on a couple of the gigs, so that that helps because then at least you two have got shorthand. Yeah. How, how and, and how is it for you, like taking notes in post? Are you just happy because it's not your thing, is it? It's not. It's not. It's not your own thing. It's it's someone else's. It it depends what it is, man. I'd say on you don't know me. I was like, you know, I got really caught up in it. I was like, you know, I think we're in danger of messing this up if we do this early on. There was this thing about, you know, if you pitch the show, it's about a guy who's on trial for murder. The Saxis Barrison does his own closing statement. So I think you needed to see him walk down and start doing his own closing statement. But there was a point where they got rid of that and he was just talking. And I was like, the whole premise is this is an ordinary man doing extraordinary things and you need to feel what he feels when mm-hmm. he's like not sure how to talk and he's stuttering a little bit. And they were like, no, I don't think we need it. So the end of the show wasn't what was scripted. You know, that was worked on in post. There was a little bit back and forth on that as well. I think I'm, I've definitely learned from that experience to be better at it isn't my show. And I guess because I did all four reps and it was, you know, it's very rare to work on a show like that where it was just a load of people who looked like me, you know. We all, socially as well, you know, none of us were like rich or anything like that. We all kind of got on, I'm still in touch with everyone. Yeah, we all kind of really, really cared and it wasn't just a TV gig, do you know what I mean? Mm. Which probably worked to my detriment because, you know, I fought for things that maybe I shouldn't have and, uh, you know, we fought to have Yoruba where they were speaking another language and, you know, it was just something we all really cared about. We were aware of it at the time. I was like, look, man, this isn't just a random ITV drama. We, I think we're going to do something that's going to outlast us all. Mm. Um, you know, and it's troubled all right as well and, and stuff. But. That's interesting you pulled up the Yoruba like, dialect because Rinkia, the producer, wondering whether she was involved in, in like fighting that, that battle because I, I know it's it's quite difficult sometimes to because to, it, it, it can feel like it alienates the mainstream audience. Yeah, it, I think it was really early on. We cast Sam, and I said to Sam in the room, I said, what, do you, what the language do you speak? And he said he spoke Yoruba. So then I said to Gary David, the casting director, can you make sure his mum and sister speak this language? And then Gary's going through the skipped script, and he's like, he doesn't say that in the script. And I was like, you know, I grew up in a Pakistani Urdu-speaking household. It, that's the real world, if you want to put real world into it and elevate it. This is how we do it. And, and then there was a bit of pushback from the writer and the producers and they were like, let's use it in the right moments uh, and let's shoot it both ways if we have to. And obviously on set, you don't have time to shoot it both ways all the time. So um, 
you know, it got to a situation where the producer was like, you said you'd shoot it both ways. I was like, you know, for me, this is better. You can see it. And they were like, we have to phone upstairs. I was like, cool, you know, you do your job, man. I understand that. You do you. But to me, it felt it's just so much better, like, to have it in and your is the, is, is the phone upstairs, is, is it someone with, like, black gloves on, like, picking up, the, picking up like, yeah, a man. red phone? It, it's, like a, it's crazy, a, yeah. red blinking, a red blinking light. <laughs> it's just strange, isn't it, where you think that's what separates us, isn't it? My taste and their taste and, you know, they're probably covering their back and saying, we've got to protect the writer and the show and maybe thinking ahead, whereas I'm like, this is just a lot better. Like, that person is giving a better performance. There's so much more weight to it doing it this way. But you were re- you were lead director on that. You weren't coming in sort of like, you know, middle of a season yeah, block yeah, and, yeah. and and just like doing that. You, you were lead director, so you did have weight, I guess, on 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 bulletproof free and on. Yeah, you don't know. You, me. You, you'd think so, but yeah, I don't know, man. It, in the end, there is a point where you're always like, okay, maybe I don't have that much power. Yeah, they can mm. still change it. You know, they can they can change it in the edit. You don't have final cut. Yeah, and that nicely segues to. What are the biggest lessons you've learned working within the TV studio system? It's not that different, you know. If you care about actors and you've got a camera, it's the same. You know, that's how I treat it. It's literally the same. The stuff I've been doing, you know, like you don't know me, we we try to treat it the same way I would a film, you know. I never mm. thought I've got to shoot coverage here. Uh, maybe the producers would have preferred a bit more coverage, but I never felt like that. I was like, what's important to the story here? What matters? What is he trying to say? What I have learned is it's it's not yours, man. It's definitely not. You know, as the director, I'm saying it's not mine. It's theirs, uh, and I am being employed to do a job. And I probably lost sight of it. And you don't know me because I was like, this shit's good, man. We could really not really care about this, but uh, you've got to remember you are being employed to do a job, unless you write it and direct it. Like Nina, Nina did on Lady Parts. Maybe she's got more more say on that stuff. But I won't be scared of it. You know, none of it's that scary. There's a lot of good people out there. You know, there's a couple of people who might stab you in the back, but. <laughs> There's a lot of good people, man, and if we can dispel that myth, there's no reason why you guys shouldn't be doing it and the next people listening to this should be doing it. It's, it's, I feel like it's a little bit like get your credits where you can. You know, don't turn stuff down early. Just You know, I didn't have a choice to do Hollyoaks. I had to do it. You know, I had no money. And then Ackley Bridge, I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. Bulletproof didn't have a choice. I didn't have any money. Chance to shoot in Cape Town as a three-part Again, didn't really have any choice to have any money, so we did it. Do you know what I mean? So that is what you'd say to your younger self would be that to just just get the credits, wrap the credits up. I think so. Yeah, you know, unless you genuinely think your thing's going to happen, like there's no harm in like you know, like I said, directing is a muscle. You got to flex it. You got to stay match fit. I I want a career. I don't mm. I don't just want to make one film that shows at Sundance. I want a career. Ten fifteen years from there, I'd like to have made a sci-fi, a rom-com, or whatever. You know. And the good thing about TV is people, weirdly, there's an expectation that everyone thinks you're working, you know. I've had a kid, so I took some time off for that, but now I can't get a kid to save my life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, and the next gig I get, you know, you guys might be like, how come Sam's doing that? It's like, Mm. it's just the way it is, man, you know. I've got to be humble. I've got to to take the work, what I want and what I get. It's two different things, but as long as there's actors and a camera, I'm all good. Your your, your journey definitely feels like... um... Uh, it's, it's been something where you have, you know, it's, it's, it's been a tough road. Yeah. And and, and, and and during those times, and and, and now, like, what, what what keeps you motivated to feel like, you know, when it, when it feels like it's impossible to progress? I don't know, man. I mean, I'm digging into it right now. You know, I literally got, um, had a meeting uh, two weeks ago for a gig. They then sent an email to my agent saying, what a great guy, loved him. We're meeting someone else next week and we'll let you know middle of next week. And then I found out yesterday I didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? It was like, what else can I do? I thought I did a good meet, you know? So what I have found is 
you can only do you, can't you? You know, if, if there's, there's, it'd be so cocky of me to think, oh, I should have got that gig. Like there's so many people out there after that job. Ultimately, I've got two kids I've got to feed. That's what I've got to do. I've got to graft to somehow do that. It's kind of like being creative and creating a feminist Western was like my younger self where I was like, this is what I want to stand by. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in humanity. The story's about a father and a daughter. But now I'm just trying to work, you know, whatever that is, if it's teaching or, or whatever it is, I need, I need to get money coming in. So mm-hmm. I've, I've lost, I've lost a bit of that where early on I was like, you know, you're making stuff. And what I would say, when I got You Don't Know Me, the only thing that exec spoke about from BBC was Michael Land. They didn't talk about Bulletproof or Ackley Bridge or Hollyoaks. They cared about my voice, which was Michael mm. Land. So you've got to kind of, if you can afford it, you know, tell those stories that you really care about that maybe represent you. And, I, and I'm not saying you have to make something that's personal, but that's what I did. I thought two doses, you know, I cared about it and Michael Lander cared about it and I can stand by that, my choices. There's no reason you can't make a sci-fi and be like, this is my taste, but um, I don't so know. People, I was, so, still, so, people should, so, people, yeah, so people should keep trying to make stuff when they can. I think you should, yeah, but I, I don't know. We, we all have those dark moments, man, where, you know, like you, you, the, ne- the guy next to you is doing really well or so-and-so you know is doing really well. I don't think that helps in the act. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't help. All you can do is do you. And then at some point, one of those doors will open if you keep knocking. Mm. And and when they wouldn't, I ended up going going around the wall and creating my own side door, which was my pure land. You know, if they're not going to give me the money, I kind of self-funded and did it that way. You know, don't, don't, I won't let that be the reason you don't do it. Don't let you be the reason. And it's, re- it's really tough because the reality is no one, no one is going to work as hard as you do. Do you know what I mean? Your partner or whoever or your friends and your family, they care about you, but you're the one who's sitting there on, on your own writing that shit or sending those emails. And the only difference between, you know, who you are and what you want to be is what you do. You know, you've got to do it. You've physically got to do it if you want to do it. I've just got to remember that, you know. And right now, I feel like it's out of my hands because I'm like, I wait for a TV gig, but there's not a number on my phone that says TV company called. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. I'm literally waiting for someone to be like, oh yeah, we'll take Sam. Yeah, which, which is hard, do you know what I mean? As we're kind of summarising now, nice and simple, what do you think the job of a director is? It's about having a, a taste, an opinion, and communicating it. I think that's what your job is, but I think what will study, stand you in the best stead is your character. It's what I've discovered. Yeah, not how many films you've seen, it's, it's, it's your character. Yeah, and then when I talk about like going, doing my pure land in 40 degree heat with somebody shooting at me, you know, I, I learn a lot about my character. I think you only discover your true capacity when you test it. You know, the true capacity of your character is when you test it. And if you're passionate about something, I would say it makes hard work easy because you care about what you do. Do you know what I mean? And do it because you care about it. And then you've got no choice, not because you think it's good or bad. You know, that's what they say, isn't it? You, mm-hmm. you do it because you love it. You know, like when I hear a song, I'm like, I want to share this song because it's great. It's like, if you've got a story to tell, you just want to share it, not because you want to get it to Sundance or whatever, but. You know, I find all of that stuff is good to know if, if, if you're out there and most of the time you're on your own man. and I would try to find a friend to talk to if you can, you know, a fellow like-minded director or mm. a writer or someone, because you, you're going through it. And when you vocalize it, it makes it a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah. You know, just, just to say, look, I've not worked for a year and I'm a bit skinny here. And they're like, well, you know, there's no magic bullet. Yeah. 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 I think that's a big part of why we've tried to create this this podcast is is we we don't just talk about 
the craft or, or people's journeys, we like to dig into the struggle as well, because that's where we are is at the minute. We're, we're at that point where we're seen as a risk, but we can do the job. And so we're at that resilience point um, where you're waiting for, for someone to drop you a gift of, of directing something. Yeah, and, and that's, that's so hard, man, isn't it? Like, what do you do? And, and everyone's journey is going to be different. Yeah, but I've I've completely been there, and uh, you know it's, it's one of the reasons I check in with people like Oz and people who will coming up. It's like, you know, if there's any hope, you will get there eventually, mate. It's it's a case of like, I don't know, man. If you can side hustle to survive for long enough, you will eventually get through. Yeah, yeah, because you do you do a lot of mentoring, don't you? And, and and why do you do that? Why is it important to help directors and kind of give back? I, did you ask me that before as well? I, I don't know. I don't know why I do it. I guess. Um, I feel like I can be helpful. Maybe it's something my mum and dad taught me. I don't know. I don't, it's no skin off my nose. Do you know, if I've got time, I'll, I'll, I'm checking in. There's with two direct, like for example, outside the outside the mutual directors that we know, but there's two other directors that completely don't know each other that I know, and they've both said that you've done a Zoom call with them, like you know. <laughs> uh, uh, really? All oh, right. Yeah, like or, or or Zoom with one of them, or at least you've offered like yeah, you yeah. Know, just advice. And and I think that is so important because. I'm not, I'm not saying that this happens, but I'm, I'm sure that when people get caught up in the I'm hired, I've got a gig, it, you can forget like how difficult that chasm was to jump from short yeah. to doing a, a, a paid directing gig on Studio Money. You know, I generally don't know why I do it, Oz. Why do I do it? I feel like it's helpful. It, it's it's like, I don't know, man. I really don't know why I did it. But um, mm. I am helping, you know, and I don't do it so you can say, oh, how many people am I helping? I'm, I'm kind of trying to do it covertly, but... <laughs> I don't know. You're gonna to have to do another podcast on why I'm gonna to have to have some therapy. I'll do it in my next session, mate. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to be a good guy, man. You know, let's help these these young cats out. Yeah, I, I kind of want it to feel like because for a lot of time I'd, I'd go in for these meetings and I knew they weren't meeting someone who was brown with a beard who spoke like he's from Nottingham. And I, and I was like, shit, I've got to be a bit more eloquent, and I've got to go back and watch that 35 mil print of so and so. And then I was like, hold on. You know, now I'm like, I can't change who I am, so I'm just going to be this. And I kind of want, you know, you guys and anyone listening to be like, you've got to be who you are, and that's your best bet is to be you and get through it that way. Because the other one, the other way is just, I don't know, you're faking it if you're doing it the other way, I think. So if I can reach out to these young cats who are making shorts and they're like, how do you get there? I don't, I don't know how you get there, but I've got a black book and I'll, and I'll, and I'll open some doors if I can, and then it's, it's, it's down to talent. But I don't want it to be like, a lot of the time, it's not down to talent; it's down to who you know. So, I can help in that sense, where I can do an intro, and I tend to, you know, if if, if I can, I'll, I'll help when I can. And I always say, um, I always say it's on you to contact me, it, although I end up contacting them. Like bug me, do you know what I mean? Don't you've got my details down? And the reality is, I can't really do that much. Do you know what I mean? I can't make you a better filmmaker, or Marcus. Mm, do you know what I mean? But mm, mm. I might be able to do an intro with someone at Hat Trick if if that can help. Yeah. Mm, mm. Love that. Well, thank that, you so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was is super informative. So many nuggets in there, um, not just for us, but also for everyone listening. We basically wanted to create something which five, six years ago when we were on the come up to get this a look at this, it just demystifies it and does so much. So thank you for being open and honest. Is it, is, so can I ask you guys, what, what, what do you guys think? What does it look like? I know you had that long time on uh, uh, when you were shadowing, but mm. does it does it feel like like a Wizard of Oz, there's stuff going on behind the curtain that you don't know about. When you when you see TV, like directing gigs, not so much now. No, no. Uh, for no. me, it, it feels like 
I could do any job, I'd probably have to like be more comfortable doing one if I could go on first and shadow it for like a couple of days just to see how that particular production runs and then I can yeah. fit into it. But otherwise it's it, it is what it is. The job is the job. The fundamentals don't change and then you're never really gonna know everything you need to know about because every single project is different. So it's a case of just feeling it out and and having the inbuilt inbuilt skill set to handle the problems as they arise. That's that's it. Yeah, but you know, you know, every job is exactly the same. It's fu- it, mm. it's like a military operation. They're like you know, call sheets, whatever. The, the only thing that changed, like when I said Tony, the first AD we had, he would sit in the corner, mumble to himself, and not paying any attention. And you know exactly what coverage I need because he'd just be like, "It's the same." Or what you do as a director is you change the the content of it do you know what I mean but coverage wise you he knows you're going to need someone's face someone's face and the shot of the dog in the corner do you know he kind of knows that stuff but <laughs> it's your it's your taste and performance that you're going to add and change that's what separates the directors mm. and and all the tv gigs are like i remember saying to them they were like oh how would how you know are you feeling comfortable on doing bulletproof i was like mate i did my pure on my own do you know what i mean like i think you're going to give me professionals this shit's easy. Do you know what I mean? You're surrounded yeah. me by professionals and you're trying to make this hard. When we did You Don't Know Me, we had a guy who was a proper gangster and now he was doing this thing and he had to stand on the mark and say a line of dialogue and they were like, do you think you'll be all right? I was like, this guy's probably killed people and you're asking him to stand on a mark and say like, of course he can do this shit. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, there's like, oh, there's so much. It's not. It is not. Do you know what yeah. I mean? If you can stand there and be like, I don't believe what you said. That's all you're saying. Do you know what I mean? There's a mystique around it, right? There's a complete mystique around it. You've got that shit. Surround yourself with good people and don't do their job. Let them do theirs. Do you know what I mean? And if you don't know the answer, say, can you give me a minute and I'll get back to you. I still say that to this day. Just give me a minute. I'll get back to you. When do you need to know? And then say, what do you think? Do you know what I mean? And be like, okay, cool. All right. Do you think that would work? Do you know what I mean? You don't have to answer shit. Just keep passing it around until you're like, okay, I know what I actually want. Asking you, our mutual friend, I didn't do anything on set. I'll do very little on set, mate. Do you know what I mean? You just create an environment where everyone, you're getting the best out of everyone. And that's when you get the best stuff, is like when it's calm and you're like, do you want to try this? Do you want to try that? Where are we going? You pull it all together. It's kind of like a high wire trick with experience, but don't get caught up in the other stuff and and, and delegate as much as you can. And mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I don't do a shot list, but Tony, the first AD, knew what I needed. He's like, did you still want to get that shot of the dog? And I was like, yeah, you're right. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not holding it. You don't have to hold it. Or your DP, who isn't asking you about focal length, he's like, have we told the story properly? If you can surround yourself by good people, it, it's less on you. And I think when you do shorts, you're carrying a lot of it. You, you, you're kind of trying to do all of it together. You're yeah, like, you are. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lot harder. When you're doing R-level, man, in a high-end TV, it's like, I didn't even know I was doing high-end TV until someone said you're doing high-end TV. I was like, this shit just feels the same. What are you talking about, high-end TV? It's like, it's, it is literally the same. It's just people well, at least you weren't getting shot at on, 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 <laughs> yeah. on Bulletproof. Yeah, at least we weren't getting shot at, yeah. I, yeah, you're right, man. Demystify it. It's, it's, it's doable, man. We could all do it. It's just unfortunate that there's a process to get you to that place. Yeah. Mm. And that brings us on to our week in the life, which is a little a little segment where we talk about like what is the real week like, not like what's on Twitter where people are just winning, winning, winning. Um, so yeah, we want to we want to start with that. Sam, what's your kind of like week been like? Well, it's only Tuesday, so it makes it hard. But um, 
What's the last seven days been like for you? Yeah, there you go. Do you know what's hard, Marcus? Yeah, I've got a six-month-old baby. Yeah, so if I went backwards, like mm. last night, my son, who's four, he's going to be five in a couple of weeks, 10 o'clock he was shouting, 10 p.m., yeah? So he's shouting at 10 p.m. I go into his room, and he was upset about something. He couldn't vocalize what was wrong with him, so he probably had a nightmare. Mm. And then he said, can I have a hug? I was like, yep. And uh, so I'll give you a hug in the morning as well. And he's like, what if you're not here in the morning? I said, I know I'm going to be here in the morning. Yeah, so mm. I'm going to be here in the morning. <laughs> I then leave. He shouts again, and he wants some water, so I give him some water. Leave him. About 2 o'clock, I think it was, he shouted again. So I go in again to see if he's all right. He's like, my ear hurts. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, that could be real or it could be fake, I don't know. And then he's like, can I have a hug? I said, yep, I'll hug you in the morning as well. So go to bed about two-ish. And then about 30, 40 minutes later, my daughter, six-month-old, starts crying. So my wife goes in to feed her. And then about five-ish, my son's shouting again. Yeah, so that, that kind of my days, literally, I'm not doing anything creative in, in when mm. I'm up. So from five-ish, six-ish, my son then dropping him off at school. I had to put some washing out. Uh, so I was late for this podcast because you can't leave wet washing out. And then my wife's been doing some dailies, so she's doing graphics on the job. So I'll keep the baby, so she'll feed her about 10-ish. I'll then do a walk and call Oz uh, with the baby, bring her back for half 11 because she's feeding now. So we're giving her some mushed up avocado or whatever. And if I'm lucky, she'll do a two-hour nap. And in mm. that two-hour nap, I might have a bit of food on myself, clean up, check my phone, and then she'll be crying again. So I'll get her back up. Wife will feed her again. <laughs> Mate, you're going to have to edit this. Wife will feed her again, <laughs> and then she's up. I've got to pick my son up at 25 past three, so my wife's working, so I'll go. Do you know what I mean? Take the baby. Drop my son off at four at home for about four-ish, and then take the baby back out for a 20-minute nap in the afternoon. Yeah, she's got to do a 20-minute nap. Come home, feed everyone. So my wife will probably helping with food because she's great with the food. Everyone will feed. Bath and bed starts at six. So I had, what, 20 minutes between five and six? Maybe not. Mm. Bath and bed at six. Everyone's in bed by seven come downstairs we'll eat and then you've probably got an hour between eight and nine where i might watch a bit of telly uh, and then in between all of that i was trying to help a few people so i sent a couple of somebody messaged me whatever one of the people i'm helping so i'm trying to do an intro with someone someone else i've done an intro with someone else and then just checking in with anyone if i'm on that walk the other people i'm trying to help or check in with i'll try to do that in those windows but yeah that that, that is rinse and repeat mate those are my days right now because i ain't got a gig and I know yeah. when I get a gig, I'll be gone. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to spend time with the kids and help out with my wife who's killing it, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. But we're talking about demystify now. That that right there is what it is. Because, I mean, as Oz was saying, we kind of get a sense of everyone's doing better than you are because you see the highlight reel. But ultimately, when you're doing stuff, it feels slow. Even if you do have a win, it, the whole thing feels slow. So I think... Yeah. Um, to no, get a mate, sense I'm of definitely, that is really helpful. Yeah. And I'm not even watching anything. Do you know what I mean? I was like, what are you watching? I'm not watching anything. If I'm lucky, I'm watching. I tell you what, I'm watching, I'm watching the test. I started watching the test season two on, on Amazon about the Australian cricket team. Mm. I've, I kind of got to a stage where I'm like, I blagged, I might have to blag the BAFTA membership because I was brown. They were like, yeah, yeah, we need more brown people. <laughs> so I had, I had a link to all the films. I don't even want to watch them. Do you know what I mean? Um, Marcus, what about you? What's your week been like? Yeah, I've I've just been kind of doing little bits and bobs. So I went and met uh, the people who are going to be shadowing on on the next iteration of the House of the Dragon program, which we were on. Met them yesterday. And then who is it? I, Can you say? Um, by the time this is out, there might be a press release. Oh, yeah. So it will be. I think. Or don't say say afterwards. Say afterwards, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can cut it out, but it's a Bella Tate, and um, I, there's a, uh, a young lady called B. I can't remember her surname. Okay. Uh, B. Well, B. 
um, but two women, which is which is cool because I thought it would have been fifty fifty last time, but then me and Oz both turned up and uh, <laughs> ruined that vibe. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, overlap the weekend. I did fuck all. I did. I did nothing. I had a bunch of sort of assessments last week, so I just took the weekend for mental health purposes. And otherwise, little had like a little scholarship dinner. So I had somebody paid for me to go to film school because um, I'm brown and talented, which was really lovely. And every every year, he 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 does like a dinner for everyone to socialise of all past scholarship donors. So that's really cool. He he started it in like the late 2000s so the way i see it is like he actually did it from a genuine place rather than in the last yeah, yeah. three or four years because someone yeah. got murdered um so i'm like fair play um, and when you think about like who he's helped man oh yeah yeah yeah. It's great. yeah yeah massive so that's really cool um but otherwise yeah really not much really really not much general vibes how about yours I was supposed to join you on that meeting yesterday with the new House of the Dragon mentees and unfortunately 100 miles out from London I got a flat tyre because I've oh, got run flats I decided to carry on driving like a dickhead uh, and then my car started wobbling so I had to pull off at the services call the RAC and then they called a mobile fitter out who came in a long base wheel van and changed my tyre but it got too late and I thought I'm not driving all the way to London Damn. for two minutes now uh, so that was yesterday but it's all good I could have died because it was on a smart motorway and they don't have hard shoulders, so oh right, that, that's that's that that that's uh, you know that's what it is. But uh, so that was yesterday, and other than that, I've been um, just trying. I've got a couple of applications that I need to get in. There's a couple of deadlines on them, and that is about it. It's not really been that much other than that going on, um, and just like you said, that rinse and repeat. Uh, I was put the washing up. I was put the washing up myself. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've got the cats here as well. Got to sort them out as well, and then I'll then I'll be school run before I know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like the final thing we like to do is we we talk about how dry and boring our weeks are. We also do a, nug, a nugget <laughs> of the week about what's inspired us this week. So it could be anything. It could be like a podcast. It could be a book. It could just be uh, a meeting, conversation. A conversation you had with someone. Um, but yeah, we kind of like to open that up and ask what's inspired you. I tell you. Because it's only Tuesday, I've not had an inspiring week. I got some. Uh, I got the bad news yesterday that I didn't get the gig, so I, I could do with one of you two telling me something to inspire me. Actually, I really liked. Uh, you know, like I said, I love Jurgen Klopp. He because Liverpool going through a bad stage right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Currently where we are, but he he. If you listen to him, he's like he doesn't fake it. He's like we're going to stick together. We're going to go again. That's all we can do. And I thought respect to that. You know, we're going to try hard. We're going to stick together. We're going to go again. I appreciated that. Uh, he said that the other day, so that, that kind of encouraged me. Yeah. So for me, I guess what's inspired me, there's um there's a really really cool YouTube channel called Art Support. The, the handle on YouTube is Art Support One, and I think what's really good about this is basically about individual artists and it could be in any discipline. So a lot of it is music based. They've got like Rick Rubin and Tyler Creator, but also filmmakers, uh, Childish Gambino, Taika Waititi, and actors Jim Carrey, and loads and loads and loads, all disciplines, and it it basically just talks about their process and their own internal philosophy. It's almost like a supercut from interviews, which they've done and they're all less than 10 minutes. And yeah, it will really dig into what motivates them, like their voice, like how they go about creating, why they create. And yeah, the sort of like internal compass, which kind of pushes them in whatever direction. So I, I always find that really inspiring when one of those videos comes up and you always learn a lot. Cool. And my nugget of the week is a book that's called Factfulness. And it's by an author called 
Hans Rosling and it's basically 10 reasons we're wrong about the world and why things are better than you think and it's a really good book for mental health because it cuts through and goes against this sort of like commoditized uh, news era that we live in where everything has to be sensationalized and everything bad because that's what gets clicks that's what kind of in the old school way sells the papers where this book talks about like how you have to look at facts and you have to cut through the bullshit to look at the facts. And when you look at the facts, they're actually not as bad as what people make out because uh-huh. of, of where we're at. And it's really, really good. It really, really talks about like, uh, and, and gives you examples of what the narrative in the media has been of things, but actually what the actual facts are in terms of statistics. And it's it's really, really good. I found it I found it great. So if, and, it, and it also helps you with, with finding out the truth as well and just n- not believing everything. Do you know what I did finish uh, the Michael Winnerbot look at Dark, uh, Dark Matter, mm. where he's talking to a load of filmmakers. I sent you a uh, picture from the Stephen yes. Doldry thing, yes. yeah, but he's talking to a load of filmmakers about the films they didn't get to make. I thought that was quite good, actually, because no matter who you are, they've all had films that they were trying to make and they didn't get to make. Mm. Uh, there's a Mike Lee interview in there, which is hilarious. I took, I took some photos of that. He's just like, he puts a one-pager in it and then gets funding to make a film. <laughs> but he, but he, he talks about how he wants them to fund the filmmaker, not the film, and there's a difference. Mm. Do you know what mm. I mean? And and then Winterbottle was talking about how they make a film for 1.5 million and it's tough, you know what I mean, BFI, whatever. But then you do TV and it's 2 million per app. But no one's kind of like, there's, there's not the same weight or, or threat or pressure. And it's such a shame how there's that imbalance. Yeah. It's a good book. So it's called Dark Matter. Yeah. I finished it yesterday. Wicked. Great. So I think that's a good way to round out. Yes. Next week, I don't know who we're going to have on, but I'm sure it'll be exciting. So keep an eye on the socials to find out who that will be. And so if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large. And we'll do our best to tell you. We want to share this as a resource for you. So do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram, which is the director's take podcast. And we're also on Twitter on at director's take. And Sam, where can people find you so that they can at you and get you to give them your black book? I've got a Twitter my wife set up. Yeah, I don't even know what it is, mate. Yeah. Yeah, she set it up when we did my PLM. We had no um, nobody promoting it, so she was like, "Do Twitter." But now I just use it for football, really. Sam thirty-seven, or is it Sam Masood thirty-seven? I don't even know. It is Sam Masood thirty-seven. There you go. Thank you. I'm there. Cool. So I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith. <laughs>